Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to Real Skiers with Jackson Hogan. Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to Season 2. This is your host, Jackson Hogan, back to regale you with, well, everything there is to know about alpine skiing. In today's episode, I want to share with my dear listeners some of the content that lies in store on realskiers.com. For most ski media, it would be a litany of fluff, but at realskiers.com, we digest meatier matters. I have an all-star lineup queued up and ready to post, but I don't want to throw everything at the wall all at once. I want each issue to breathe and stand on its own. But I want my dear listeners and readers to know where I'm heading and why, so I'd like to spend the next few minutes mapping the road ahead. I trust you'll forgive me if I hopscotch from topic to topic or dive down the occasional rabbit hole. I think you'll be interested in what I've been up to. So allow me to present what is perhaps best described as coming attractions, brought to you commercial-free by the insanely generous folks at realskiers.com. Since it's top of mind, let me share with you my latest project, the Returning Skiers Handbook. There are enough skiers returning to the sport after long absences to qualify as a buyer type. This is a wonderful phenomenon, but not without its perils. As former skiers, returnees have some idea about the lay of the land, but if they haven't skied in over 20 years, just about everything they know has passed its expiration date. If the word parabolic is still part of your ski vocabulary, chances are a lot of what you think you know is wrong. The concise collection of expert counsel in the Returning Skiers Handbook is intended to close this critical information gap. Our focus is not on what to buy, see realskiers.com for that, nor where to buy. That's the purpose of Jackson's list, which I'm going to talk about in a few minutes. But it's about how to buy. A buyer's best defense against a poor choice is quality information, which, despite the proliferation of self-appointed experts of every stripe, is in shockingly short supply. So, what can the returning skier learn from this handbook? It starts with some basic guardrails. First, be careful where you shop. The internet is a swamp, suitable for finding the lowest available price, but if you don't know what you're looking for, you're heading into dark waters without a guide. So be sure to consult Jackson's List to find a specialty shop near you. Second piece of global advice. If you haven't skied in over a decade, the backcountry is probably not the best place to restart. I mention this because there's a huge surge of interest in backcountry skiing. People just headed for the hills last year, driven partly by the pandemic and partly by a pre-existing natural swell in that direction. The backcountry has a natural allure because Americans are always thinking of the freedom of powder and no other people around, and backcountry sort of promises that. But how well it delivers it kind of depends on the snow year and where you are and how many skiers are out there. In any case, if you haven't got a secure in-resort skill set under your belt, the backcountry is not the place to go first in your re-entry process. I'm all for backcountry skiing in its time and place, but there are very few parallels and overlap between backcountry skiing and in-resort skiing. And until you have your skills down in one venue, I strongly suggest you stay out of the other. My third piece of advice is to take a lesson. First of all, it never hurts. But if you've been gone a long time, you literally don't know how to use the new skis under your feet. They're they're simple to do, 
But why not have a guide with you, at least for a day? How much could it hurt? It, it, well, I suppose it could hurt. You might feel like you're throwing your money away. But do a little research. Go to a place where you're likely to get a good student-to-teacher ratio and where you can get the personalized attention you hope to get and that you can learn a lot in a day. It's not that hard, but it does take a bit of learning. After I lay down these basic rules, I move on to a four-point primer on how to buy skis. Again, it's not where to buy them, and it's not what to buy, but how to buy. And you need to prepare yourself for an interview you're going to have with the shop salesperson. And like anything in life, if you're a little better prepared, you'll do a better job. You'll be ready for what questions are going to be thrown at you, and you'll have answers instead of going, I don't know, or I don't remember, which won't hurt the process necessarily, but it not, won't necessarily help it either. I also teach you a little bit about the basic alpine ski categories, not all the ones that you won't be looking at, but the basic ones that you will be possibly considering as your next pair of skis. And the better you know about what the lay of the land looks like in that particular universe, the better the buyer you will be. I also counsel you to match your prospective new ski with your skiing style. There are two basic skier types, power skiers who have a very polished skill set, and finesse skiers who may also be very skilled skiers, but they don't generally exert as much force, they don't ski as fast, and they don't attempt to set as high an edge angle as power skiers do. So try to figure out where you are in that divide. It'll help your salesperson put you on the right ski. And find your length. Length selection has never been more important than it is today for a lot of reasons, and it's important that you hew to certain guidelines to make sure that you have the best possible ski experience. I also talk a little bit about ski care and maintenance, not the gross detail that we get into uh, sometimes on realskiers.com, but general guidelines for the general public. Just remember that no maintenance is not a solution. I also look at the world of boots, and I begin with a piece I wrote, gosh, several years ago now on Real Skiers called The First Five Minutes. The central issue in any sales encounter where the stakes are fairly high is trust. Customers are often reluctant to yield control of the sales dialogue, which is only natural. However, if the customer assumes control of the sale, then the person who has the least idea what he or she is doing is now running the show. For the customer to surrender to the bootfitter's care, there first has to be a solid foundation of trust. That trust must be earned in the first five minutes. So I again go on to explain what should actually happen when you sit down in front of a bootfitter. What should that bootfitter be doing in the first five minutes to earn your trust so that you can then travel down the road with him towards an ideal solution? I then quickly sketch six boot facts that you should know. For example, a quick fix for a great fit is a better insole. Also, you can't judge the fit of an unbuckled boot, so be patient when the boot first goes on your foot. It will feel too short. Do not panic. Let it stay on while the boot fitter gets it buckled up and follow what he or she tells you to do. Your buckle tension should vary. That's another main point. You should know that all polyurethane, aka PU, shells are heat moldable. What is that all about? Why even mention this? Because while you've been gone, heat molding has become very, very common in ski shells and in fit modification. And if it's done properly, it's swift, it's slick, it really works fantastically well. And it's not limited to just models that are quote-unquote 
all heat moldable. In other words, any boot that's polyurethane can be heat molded, whether that's a lead feature of that brand or not. Always buckle your boots when not in use. I can't tell you how many people bring their boots into the store and they are tragically distorted. It just takes a few seconds to rebuckle your boots when you're done skiing, so do it. It'll make a world of difference. Thinner socks matter. You may think that you need a thicker sock. This is a pretty conventional idea among a lot of folks, but in skiing, that is not your best friend. So trust the advice of your boot fitter, and certainly for the boot fitting process, you must wear a thin ski sock, not just whatever happens to be handy. I spend a little time in show and tell on getting your boots on and off, no mean feat in some instances. I also talk about what belongs in your boot bag. And we talk about the boot bag itself, because you've got to have a boot bag these days, and I'll explain in detail why, and all the little things and trinkets that have to go in them to make your ski day go at its peak performance. I give some binding selection advice. Bindings sound a lot terribly dull, but they're terribly important, and this gives you some guidelines on how to select the right binding for you. We talk about buying gear for kids, or in fact, not buying gear for kids, because in fact, our council is depending on their age and so on. Generally speaking, if you have a child relatively new to the sport or like yourself re-entering the sport, it makes a lot of sense to rent instead of buy. We wrap up by talking about how to pick a pole, how to carry your gear like a pro, and answering your questions about how long you can expect your gear to last. If you know someone who's returning to the sport after a long absence, turn them on to the realskiers.com, Returning Skiers Handbook, and I think it'll help their entire re-entry process. The handbook is only one of the projects I have in the pipeline. Also coming up is Jackson's List, which has been a long project in development. I've always wanted to see one comprehensive place where all the best retailers are assembled in a directory that's easily searchable so people can find the best true specialist nearest them. My whole business at realskiers.com is recommending skis and then recommending where you can go to get them. And it's been frustrating sometimes to be able to find the right place near the skier who's looking for a particular ski. The challenge has always been is that there's no one pre-established list. Every brand has their dealer network, and that's fine, but it's a rather exclusive club and doesn't necessarily mean that anybody who carries that brand is automatically a great dealer. That's just not the way the world works. So I was frustrated in trying to find the true specialty dealers, so I went out and found them myself. And I entered them in a database, and it's all searchable, and it'll all be up on real skiers in the not-too-distant future. By the way, it costs the retailers to participate zero if they want to link their inventory to my reviews, I can do that for them at a very modest fee, but you don't have to pay me anything to just be on the list, and that'll include your website and where you're physically located. Why don't we then give you any more ratings? You're either on the list or off the list. If you're on the list, you're good. If you're off the list, well, you may still be good. I don't know in an absolute sense whether you are or you aren't. But from what I've learned and my intel and my digging and my background, plus my own 50-odd years of experience in this business, I think it's a pretty good list. At least it's a great place to start. I'm not telling you it's comprehensively brilliant, but it's better than anything else you've got out there right now that's on your side, that's not trying to grind anyone else's axe. It's not dependent on whether you bought X, Y, or Z product. 
It's whether or not we believe, we being myself and an undisclosed network of confidants, believe, provide consistently the best service. And that includes, of course, boot fitting, because if you can't get that part right, you're really not in the game. Also in the coming attractions queue are the best skis of 2021. Now, realskiers.com really already tells you what the best skiers are. We show you top to bottom in order the top point scorers for power or finesse properties in all the major categories. So you can just look to the top of the list and there's your number one ski. However, we show more than one recommended ski for a lot of obvious, what I hope are obvious reasons. And even when I get down to the best skis, I'm not going to give you just one ski because it's a phony impression of value. It's not true. There is no one best ski. So I narrow it down to three, and even that's got you know some hedge to it because there was a fourth ski that probably could have been added to the third. But I'm trying to distill for those people for whom the best of list is the only thing they're going to look at anyway, here's my best list for all the major categories. And that's coming up soon on realskiers.com. I'm also going to talk later on this fall about a new phenomenon being identified prominently by Rosignol, but Rosignol isn't, in fact, even the first to use this nomenclature, but I think they're the first to really express it in its full expression so you really understand what the term means, because I know Solomon used the term all resort for their XDR series of a few years ago. But all resort to Rosignol means that it's, it's not just that this skier has a slightly different conception of all mountain. He's really in a different bubble in a way. He doesn't get a trail map. He gets the app. And he does everything on the app. He, he, when he goes to Jackson Hole, he doesn't just ski. He goes and feeds the bloody elk, which I'm sure is absolutely wonderful to do. But I could never, ever imagine turning my back on Teton Village and walking off into a hayfield to feed a moose when I could be skiing. I know I said moose instead of elk. Just forgive, forget the details. The point is, I grew up thinking that you went to a ski area to ski. It turns out that they've actually been pretty effective at selling the idea of a resort, this sort of Disneyland multi-activity deal, where if your season pass only allows you three days to ski anyway, you take another couple days to enjoy the rest of the resort. The reason I talk about this a lot is because it ends up affecting the type of ski that you sell to this supposed all-resort skier. They are people that in real skiers' way of looking at the skier community, our iconography, if you will, of tourists, players, and zealots, the three different approaches to almost any sport, these skiers are essentially tourists. They want to come in a safe uh, environment where they can enjoy skiing as part of their day. They may self-identify as God knows what. I'm sure some of them think of themselves as experts, but they're the sort of experts who then give you a list of all the things that they don't do. I'm an expert who doesn't ski moguls, and doesn't ski trees, and doesn't ski heavy snow, and doesn't ski in bad weather. Well, I have bad news for this person, but <laughs> you're not an expert. But the all-resort skier is essentially a phenomenon that I think is true. I'm not actually picking on Rosie and saying, where'd you get this from? When I read it and I look around me in the world as it is, not as I would like it to be, I think they're right. I think there is this person who is now treating the ski resort that way, which is phenomenally different in a mindset standpoint from where we were even 10, 15, certainly 20 years ago. I give you another chapter coming up this fall. From the Making of a Skier, my skiing autobiography, we're up to chapter 14 now in this not exactly chronological series of events. 
And in this particular episode, <laughs> I chuckle because it's more comedic than anything else, as it outlines my illustrious Nordic career. I couldn't have resided lower <laughs> on the Nordic totem pole. And I share with you a few events which, which prove <laughs> that, that that's exactly where I belong. I'm also going to give you a somewhat sorrowful look at a issue that burns at my heart a bit, which is, will the next generation of skiers be the last? I don't like the way things are going. Climate-wise, certainly we could say that might happen, but we're kind of doing it within the ski culture itself. And I talk to those issues very lamentably, but I believe they're true, or I wouldn't be trying to convince you of it. On a brighter note, I also have a two-part series in the pipeline called Getting Lost in the Details, which is about where you should end up on the spectrum of care for your skis and boots between what's possible, which is incredibly detailed, and I'll get into that a little bit in this piece, and what's practical. I look at the situation with waxing and how crazy it can get and where the middle ground is for most people. Same thing with base structure and edge bevel and boot sole modifications and stand height and ramp angle and shimming and even pole length. All of these issues are ones where you can obsess in the details and I think there's a place where obsession should end and practicality ought to intercede, at least for most people who are not professional skiers. Well, dear listeners, that isn't all that I have ready for this coming fall, but it's a good sampling of what's coming up. And of course, I'm going to continue to put out a weekly podcast and a weekly revelation on through March and most likely into April when I will close the books on the 21-22 season. And that concludes this particular edition of Jackson Illuminates Everything About Skiing. Hope you've enjoyed this little look around the corner and anticipate now what's going to be coming up in future podcasts and revelations. I think you're going to like where we're going. We're trying to do a lot of things that try to help not just you, but try to help our sport. Because frankly, ladies and gentlemen, it needs our help. And that's part of what RealSkiers.com is here to do, is to help our sport limp into the future so that we can perhaps provide to the next generation what we've been fortunate to enjoy in ours. This has been Real Skiers with Jackson Hogan. Thanks for listening.